Hello, and welcome to the Commander Theory Podcast. I'm Nick Beatman, and I'm here with my friend, Zach Mack. Hello, theorists. So today, we're going to be going over one-and-done decks, and, and, and maybe that's a little bit of a misnomer, but it's decks that we ended up taking apart. It just really sucks when you place a big order on TCG Player, of course, using the Commander Theory affiliate code, and, mm-hmm. you know, you're... you're checking the mailbox every day and your cards finally arrive and you put the deck together, you sleeve everything up, you bring it to the commander night with the boys and it doesn't work. And you realize you've just wasted a bunch of money. Yeah. It blows really hard. (laughs) Not a good feeling. Definitely something you want to avoid. And that's pretty much what we're going to be helping you do today. We're going to be talking about all the decks we have pulled apart over the years and lumping them into some general categories so that hopefully in the future you can uh, you know, take a look at the deck while it's still in the draft phase, while you've thrown something together on Architect or whatever. And you can ask, you can see, well, is this, is this just one of those decks that I'm going to pull apart after a couple nights? So hopefully this will be useful for you. Hopefully this will allow you to avoid building decks that maybe aren't going to survive for very long. And at the end of the episode, we're also going to talk about some decks that we've kept together for many years mm-hmm. and talk about some of the characteristics to look for in a commander or in a deck that will lead to um, you know, more fun games and a better investment for your cards. So uh, before we jump in, I want to briefly talk about our Patreon. If you head on over to patreon.com slash commander theory, you can support the show and get sweet benefits for as little as $1 a month. If you aren't ready to be a patron yet, you can help us out by rating or reviewing us wherever you get your podcasts. All right, let's jump into the first category. This is one I'm extremely guilty of. Uh, I do this a lot. This is uninteractive combo. Uh, and, and honestly, I think this is probably one of the easier ones for most people to avoid. But for whatever reason, I tend to get really, really excited um, when, I, when I come across a deck that just plays very differently. And it's like, wow, all my zero mana artifacts are now combo pieces. How cool is that? Uh, or all these crappy life gain cards are now combo pieces. That is super neat. And, uh, you know, I get really into the idea i buy all the cards i put it together uh, i play one game and then i realize hmm it's probably not good practice to bring my solitaire deck to the commander night so i've got mm, a lot of examples of this i guess some of the more recent ones uh <laughs> i built a lich deck that basically just ran a bunch of liches and a bunch <laughs> of life gain effects and uh, also ran things like Cadaverous Bloom or Scourge Familiar so that your your life gain cards would draw you cards. And then you would pitch those cards to generate mana, which you would then use to pump into more life gain cards and so on and so forth. And eventually you just go through your entire library. That was super unique gameplay, super fun to do for the person doing it and super boring for everyone else at the table to watch. Uh, so that's a recent one I pulled apart. Another one was Sakashima and Quark. I thought that was super cool, super funny. I'm flipping. Look at all these coins I'm flipping. But, you know, first off, it's a combo deck that you can't shortcut. You really do have to flip all of those coins. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah, which is actually like a weird drawback to these decks that like you don't think about because you think like, oh, coin flip, ha ha ha. But like you do have to actually like find some way to randomize something. <laughs> Otherwise, yeah. the deck doesn't work. Yeah. So uh, that's another one that's like runs a lot of weird cards. You've got all these clones that become Krarks. Uh, and all these spells that like are normally pretty terrible and you, you probably wouldn't think to run them in a deck, but become insane when you're able to cast them or get them back to your hand and also cast them at the same time, like Gataxian Probe. That's another one I, I became enamored with and my opponents were not enamored with it. And uh, in a social format like this, that's kind of what leads to decks getting pulled apart. Yeah. I don't know if you have any examples of this. I know I'm... I have a big problem with it. I don't know if it's an issue for you. No, it is. It's something that I definitely take into account when I'm looking at new commanders because one of my, I think my favorite deck I ever made that I just ended up taking apart and it, it's not really on this list because it's I played it a little bit more than one and done, but that's not that's more because I was being selfish. Was uh, my Arjun the Shifting Flame list, which technically it's kind of like the coin flip thing where it's technically not like a guaranteed infinite combo. But if I was going off, my turn would take like 10, 15, 20 minutes because uh, Arjun the Shifting Flame uh, has the Mind My All text where whenever you cast a spell, put the cards in your hand on the bottom of your library in any order, then draw that many cards. So I would just literally like I'd have to think about stacking my deck because I knew I would be able to like see the cards again. And I'm like, okay, well, which one of these do I want to see first? okay, I'll put that there and then I'll put them on the bottom and now I'm going to draw my cards and now I'm doubling cards. And it just, there's so many decision points that no one could interact with. So it was mm-hmm. just playing solitaire and and as much fun as that was, like the brain puzzle to like see and see if I could win, um, it was definitely something that I just realized was like siphoning the fun from everyone around me. So this is the deck I took apart specifically for that reason. like. Mm, okay like this is just not contributing uh to the overall funness level i can make a deck i know i'm good enough at making decks that i can make a deck that like enthralls me but also is fun to play against so let's just do that instead just like completely uninteractive like how do you interact with me like drawing cards (laughs) like Mm -hmm. this is not really a game mechanic so definitely uh well i think we can move on to the next category uh, and I think we both have some good examples for this one. So this is all or nothing decks. These are decks that uh, when they're doing their thing, when they're firing on all cylinders, it is extremely fun and you're doing, you know, you're, you're playing a lot of magic, but, you know, they they all have some sort of like crucial fail point. And if your opponent is able to attack that, then your deck does nothing at all. And and often that fail point is the commander. Um, but for, for, for my example, I'll throw out um, Blim. This is the Rakdos commander from Commander Legends that is able to donate things to your opponents. And the, the thing about the deck is like if your opponents are able to keep Blim off the board or keep him from attacking then you're not able to donate the the really nasty permanents you want to give away. 
And so, uh, and of course you don't want to play these, these awful cards normally. <laughs> so if, if Blim is kept off the board, you're just in this state where you have a bunch of cards in hand and you don't want to play any of them because they're all really bad. Uh, and you're just not able to do anything and, and it's a really bad experience. Uh, but what's, what's an example that you have from your deck history? There is a commander that I had from, uh, mirage called zerlin of the claw and this was a mono red dragons deck and uh, what zerlin of the claw does is it has it's a five mana three four vaishino shaman when and it has um one red red tap search your library for a dragon put it on the battlefield it gains haste until end of turn at end of turn exile it um and so the idea was like ramp get out Zerlin, and then cheat some big dragons into play and then hopefully cheat to keep them around um which is, is pretty fun and i actually do recommend it if you're in like a pretty forgiving play group the, the problem with this deck and one of the reasons i don't have it now is that if people knew what i was doing or if i was just like not getting the cards that i needed the deck did absolutely nothing because i would sit there with like a bunch of like seven and eight mana dragons in hand. And maybe I'd have some like mana rocks. Maybe I just had a bunch of lands in hand. Maybe I didn't draw the mana rocks. Maybe people killed my commander a few times. And so it was either like I'm sitting there doing nothing, just kind of a meat shield for my other opponents, like as they chip away my life and maybe draw cards with like a coastal piracy or something. Or I was just the dragon emperor and I was destroying everyone and you died to a dragon tyrant double striking you and you died to a scourge of Valkus and a bunch of Udvara Hellkite triggers and you died of it and it it was all of everything on the battlefield at once or it was nothing at all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, that gameplay just got boring pretty fast because those games like the highs were pretty high but the lows they were really low. And uh, that was not something that I was super into. Um, it re- it really made me think about like so this combined with some of the other decks that we might talk about in this section made me really think about like, okay, well, what is gameplay that I am looking for in a game of commander? Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. I've got one more example in this category and then um, maybe you can share one and then we'll move on. Yeah. But uh, another one I, I felt the same way about is, Greven Predator Captain. Um, so this is the the Greven that was printed in the commander deck. It's Rakdos, and it gets pumped based on the amount of life you've lost this turn, and it can sacrifice creatures to uh, draw cards equal to their power. So uh, it's a really neat card, but it costs five mana. Uh, it costs five, and then it needs to attack. And the cards that work really, really well in the deck are terrible on their own. It's things like ball lightning or blightning, uh, you know, really cheap cards, really cheap creatures with really high power. Um, there's also things like giving him lifelink is a neat trick because you can pay a bunch of life and then regain it all back when he connects. Um, but the lifelink grainers also are only good when he's on the board. So if my opponents are able to kill my commander or just like slow me down to the point where it's hard to cast him again then my deck is just full of cards that accomplish stone nothing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's, yeah, an- another example of just like a commander that's not fun or not active a lot of the time. Rakdos just seems to have like a 
a glut of these kind of commanders. Because one, one I'm not going to talk about today, but we do talk about often is Rakdos, Lord of Riots, um, which reads... Uh, I definitely did have this deck, and I had this exact same experience with that deck, too, where, like, um, if my commander wasn't there, I just felt completely neutered, and my commander kind of had to be there because I was trying to cheat in, like, 11 drops, and you can't reasonably do that. <laughs> mm-hmm. So most games of Magic, it takes a while to get to 11, <laughs> especially in Rakdos. So it was all or nothing all the time. Um, and kind of in that note, I have a mono blacklist that I actually, another one that I, I loved, but playing with friends just really showed me that like, this isn't something I could do. And it was all or nothing, but kind of instead of like being explosive in the way that these other decks we've talked about are, it was like um, destructive. It tore everything down. And this was King Makar, the gold cursed. So this is a commander from Born of the Gods. Uh, he's mono black, and you you might remember him. He's a two three human for four mana, two and two black, and he is inspired. So inspired is whenever he becomes untapped, you may exile a creature. If you do, you get a gold. So the whole deck revolved around King Makar tapping somehow, perhaps with a uh, Paradise Mantle or an honor worn shaku to untap it Honor worn shaku is a three mana artifact that taps for a colorless and says tap an untapped legendary permanent you control untap honor worn shaku to untap king makar somehow and get a gold and kind of repeat this process so that basically most of the time required turning king makar into an artifact sometimes it involved an umbral mantle Sometimes it revolved around Sword of the Perrins. Um, there's a few different ways to do it. Um, and the the best kind of engine for the deck was Clock of Omens, which is a four-mana artifact that said, tap two untapped artifacts you control, untapped target artifact. So when you were going, if like King Makar was a an artifact, you could tap King Makar, you could tap the gold that you made earlier, and then you could untap King Makar and make a gold and just kind of shotgun the whole table. And so the whole deck revolved around just making sure my opponents didn't have a single creature the entire game. <laughs> mm-hmm. And it was very explosive, but like I said, like in a negative way and kind of like a black hole kind of way. And I had a ton of mana all the time if people were playing into it. So I, I had a lot of big mana sinks in the deck. Um, famously, I, I really trolled a lot of people with Death Cloud when I was playing this deck. And Death Cloud is an X spell. It's X black, black, black sorcery. Each player loses X life, discards X cards, sacrifices X creatures, and sacrifices X lands. And the idea being that, like, if I had all of my artifacts, like, I was going to win with all my gold and whatnot. So <laughs> this deck basically was just the worst combo control mono blacklist that you could imagine playing against. And everyone hated it every i hated it i was playing the deck and like i would exile someone's commander for the fourth time and they just like look at me and my heart would like sink <laughs> as i'd be like make a gold <laughs> and and just the whole game kind of slowed to a stop because the whole game whether or not i was actually the one winning revolved around making sure i couldn't play my game 
because if I was playing my game, most of my opponent's games weren't going off. So what ended up happening a lot of the time was I was kind of the meat shield for the person playing like blue red artifacts or, you know, like an enchantress or someone who was doing something that wasn't necessarily creature reliant, um, like a Mizzix of the Igmagus can do a lot of stuff. Like all you got to do is keep is it a Mizzix around for like a little bit, you know, to go off. So this deck really just a black hole and it either was going off or it didn't. And I will always remember how it made me feel and like the lessons I had to learn <laughs> from a mm-hmm. deck like that. So I think we should move on to the next category. I think you have some really good examples of this one. Yeah. Uh, so this next category is decks that are too oppressive. So they aren't necessarily combo-y like, like the previous category I mentioned, but they're ones that just um, are difficult to interact with or too fast or just like generally not a great match for the power level that my playgroup tends to play at. Um, so one of them is Lord Windgrace. This is the Jund Planeswalker that interacts with lands. And what tends to happen in this deck is like, you know, it's really good at ramping. It's really good at generating lots of chump blockers with like a um, with like a worm harvest. And it's also really good at turtling because it's not that difficult for this deck to stay under um, to stay under a glacial chasm. on its opponent's turns so what tends to happen in this deck is like it's very difficult difficult for me to attack me my meta doesn't run a ton of land destruction so it's hard for my opponents to interact with my defenses and it's just like generally it's super not fun to play against at least you know with the decks that people typically bring to games in my meta so that's one i took apart because it was just uh i i didn't enjoy that feeling i i felt kind of icky playing it a lot of the time like i didn't want to force my um my opponents to just play a bunch of different cards to like a bunch more graveyard hate and a bunch more art uh, land destruction i didn't want to force everyone to adapt to me in that way so i ended up taking it apart and i don't really play that that deck anymore Mm -hmm. Um, Can, can i say some things about this deck too is like this i think one of the reasons like i think this deck is kind of really indicative of this category for two reasons. And one of them is because just the commander himself is like very good. Just the cards that Lord Ringrace offers, the advantages that he kind of pushes in like really subtle ways where you're like, oh, discard a guard, draw two cards. Like people are like, haha, okay, whatever. Um, and they don't really see that you're setting up for things. So I think like the sneaky power level of Lord Ringrace is one thing that like makes him really impressive. But also just the kind of general attitude in Commander towards lands and how people interact with lands, I think makes it so that like most people might have like a ghost quarter or um, like a tectonic edge or a strip mine or like like a card in their deck that can deal with a land if they need it. But you need a lot of those <laughs> to deal with Lord Windgrace, which is very much against the social contract. And that's kind of what I've noticed in this category for myself too, is that like, if I'm doing something that pushes into an area, perhaps like Armageddon's and white or something like that, that's against like the social contract. I tend to take those decks apart because like my opponents just mentally weren't even prepared to like, 
combat me on that level. <laughs> mm-hmm. And the game just kind of devolves into exactly what you were talking about with your Lord Windgrace list. So it, it's um, an interesting mix of like, oh, this is a really cool mechanic. But then when you build into it, like it, you're kind of uh, unfairly leveraging the attitudes most players have in Commander. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I've got one more example for this category, which I think is kind of interesting because it's so recent. Yeah, I actually love this example. I'm really excited for you to talk about it. Yeah, so this is uh, Sephiris of the Hidden Ways. This is the Venture Commander from the AFR precons. Um, she's Esper, so white, black, blue. And basically, um, whenever a creature card is put in your graveyard from anywhere, you get to venture into the dungeon that this ability triggers only once each turn. And then whenever you complete a dungeon, you can reanimate a creature from your graveyard. Um so I saw this commander and, you know, you might have remembered me talking about it during our AFR pre-con set review, but I, I saw that it was really, really, really easy to trigger her a whole bunch of times using cycling creatures. You could just cycle something on your turn and then your opponent's turns. And by the time you get back around, you're able to reanimate something. So over a very short period of time, uh, you can you can get your big reanimation payoff. And so I saw that and then I thought about, oh, okay, well, if I can reanimate something really fast after I get Sephiris down, what am I going to want to reanimate? And the the best answer ended up being Jingataxius. And so I, I put the deck together and it ended up being really, really consistent and was very easily able to get a Jingataxius on the board by like turn four or five in, in just a lot of games. And the, uh, I think the first time I did that against my friends, uh, you know, they were just like, oh, is, is that what you're trying to do with this deck? Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and even in the games where like Jenga Taxius didn't show up, it's just like, you know, I'm able to get something good down mm. and, and also just like protect it really, really easily. Cause okay. Oh, you kill it again. Well, one round of turns and I've gotten enough cyclers that I just um, return it to the battlefield. So it's resilient. Um, it Depending on if you run the good creatures, it's super oppressive um, and it's very, very fast. Sephiroth com- comes down on turn three and, you know, if you have four one mana cyclers, you can get your reanimation off within one round after that. Yeah, this is actually, so I I was really excited for you to talk about this deck because I remember like one of the first games you played it. And I think one of the first games you played, you hadn't actually, it was mostly just an upgraded pre-con. Like you didn't actually change too many cards like the first time I saw you play this deck. And I was absolutely stunned because like the whole table kept trying to blow up this Jingataxius and like every single turn for like five turns it just kept coming back until eventually like I can't remember. I'm pretty sure you won, but like, I just remember people started dying and there was like only so much we could do. And, um, just like the raw power that was there because I think people look at like venture and go, ah, that weak mechanic from AFR. Ha ha. Um, but really like the venture on this card is kind of just like, it, it it would might as well say like, like a, put a counter on this and yeah it's just like a marker it yeah. could be like a 
I mean, it could be like an experience counter and then yeah. <laughs> spend four experience counters to reanimate something. It's just like the, the venture is really not central to the card at all. Yeah, exactly. So th- this card really, really blows me away with how powerful it is and like just how oppressive it is. Mm-hmm. Like, like I didn't realize how easy it would be to do that, to get all the reanimation and just how good and consistent it could be until I saw it just absolutely destroy me so this was a a deck that i was really impressed with but also like oh boy (laughs) Mm -hmm. man that's a lot yeah uh definitely don't play that one yeah Uh, (laughs) (laughs) at least not in my metagame um and i I think we can move on to the next category if you're ready Yeah. yeah yeah that sounds great okay uh so this next category is decks that play the same way every time and i've got one example from this i don't know if you have any examples so my example for this is skitherix the blight dragon and because it's a voltron deck and it's an infect deck it's it's pretty linear every game it's going to be about ramping out skitherix pumping him up and trying to get 10 poison counters on each opponent um you know maybe i'll draw i have some other infect creatures or rather had some other infect creatures in the deck so maybe it'll be a plague stinger that kills you instead of skitherix himself but in in any case like the gameplay is very very similar every single time i run i ran it um and so it was just not that hard for me to get bored but what's your example and and, and sorry let me let me say one more thing though yeah i, I think that like this might be common among voltron decks that kind of use the same packages like mm-hmm. if it's not a weird voltron deck then yeah you know I, you're running all the same voltron staples as you normally would run mm-hmm. i can't remember i know the legendary creatures have a name for like i'm gonna call it casual voltron where it's like your commander is your win con but you're not like just suiting it up it's like your commander might be dragon lord or jutai or like neza hall uh, and you're going to kill them with commander damage, but you're not like, and then I put on my fire shrieker and then I put on this. It's like, you're just playing a good game and then your commander is the thing that kills them. And and I feel like that kind of Ultron-y thing where you might have a card that helps out to win the game is very different from like what you're describing, like the actual Voltron strategy. And I, my deck actually uh, that I'm going to bring up is kind of, in a similar vein to yours, but from a different axis. So mine is Lazav the Multifarious. This is Lazav 2.0. Um, this so this was from the Return to Return to Ravnica, and right was that was it this one? It was like Guilds of Ravnica or something like that. Uh, yes. Okay. So Lazav the Multifarious is a one-three shapeshifter for two mana, a blue and a black. Uh, when they enter the battlefield, you surveil one, and then you can pay X to make Lazav a copy of a creature in your graveyard that costs x except it's legendary uh and it has this ability so basically you mill yourself and then you can make lazav copies of things in your graveyard hopefully on the cheap this is a great way to get around um bad enters the battlefield abilities <laughs> mm-hmm. and if you listen back to our episode about where we talk about him cuz he he's in one of the the episodes that we did um, we mentioned a bunch of tech for him, and I was really excited to play this guy. I made this list. A friend of mine had just gotten me a um, 
Phyrexian Dreadnought for my birthday. So thank you, Mark, for that Dreadnought. Uh, and I'm so sorry it killed you so many times. Because what would happen, like what I wanted the deck to be was like a Venomancer, which has just a, the gnarliest ETB effect when you play it. But it has tap, bounce this card, destroy target creature, and give them a sheep. Just for tap. Just tap. So you could reset Lazav and give them a sheep for three mana. And it was great. That was really fun. What the deck ended up being was turn two, I like entomb a Phyrexian Dreadnought, like make Lazav a Phyrexian Dreadnought, and you're dead next turn unless you can deal with this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and this wasn't even like a highly tuned lazav list it just like would happen that like by turn three or four i could either like somehow entomb a phyrexian dreadnought or something pretty gnarly or just something pretty gnarly got milled whether it was off of like a mesmeric orb or like a pull from tomorrow or uh i just like frantic searched and like oh there it is there's the cool thing i i'm gonna discard now this deck was incredibly consistent um, and made me feel bad to play it wrong, if that makes sense. Like, mm-hmm. I could have done plays where um, I was just playing the deck wrong on purpose to make the game go longer and whatever. But then I just felt like I was being disingenuous or like I was like, lying to my friends or something like that yeah that's always like a a real tough choice to make because it's like well you know if i start you know okay i'm clearly gonna win if i play right so i'll start playing a little bit worse but then if i start losing will i then do the will i then take the evil action like am i really just toying with my opponents like yeah it felt exactly it felt really bad it's like well do i just want to win if i yeah if i start losing like when when do i pull the trigger on these actions that will make me win the game and uh that like feeling of just like this deck is really consistent and, and really bad and i was like i said like this wasn't a super highly tuned Lazav. I was playing Memory Plunder in this list, and I was playing like Epiphany at the Drown Yard, like fun spells that like I hadn't really gotten to play uh, in a while. At, at bare minimum, I was playing like Ideas Unbound and like ill-gotten gains and fun discardy thingies, and uh, really like what ended up happening was just even trying to put in a bunch of clunky cards to like limit the power level a tree of perdition etc etc like it just always ended up too (laughs) good Mm -hmm. (laughs) and then it it also had tech like kefnet the mindful so i could like instant speed make lazav like indestructible or invisible stalker to make it instant speed hexproof like the creatures acted as like counter spells themselves too when they're in your graveyard so it was just very very good and very oppressive and the play style the deck just played the same every Mm -hmm. single time every single time so definitely a deck that i took apart pretty quickly (laughs) (laughs) well i think we can pivot from there um so those are the the broad categories of decks that we've pulled together or pulled apart over the years uh now we're going to switch gears to decks that have survived the longest these are decks that have we put together and for whatever reason um we just really enjoyed their gameplay they they are the kind of things we still pull out of our our uh you know pull out of our backpack 
every so often mm-hmm. um, and, and haven't yet gotten tired of. So I've got a couple examples. Um, I'll start with, and, and honestly, like, there are definitely some some common characteristics among these these decks that I've kept together for a long time. Um, so one of them is Kestia the Cultivator. This is the uh, enchantment creature commander that was printed alongside Tuvasa the Sunlit, but it's one and Bant, so one white, blue, green for a 4-4 legendary enchantment creature nymph. Uh, and then it has bestow for six mana, but it has whenever a enchantment creature or enchanted creature you control attacks, draw a card. So the way I built this deck is it's got some number of control magic effects, um, but it's mostly a bunch of enchantment creatures and, um, and of course, like some cheap instant speed interaction. So I've really enjoyed this deck. I just like that it runs cards that are different from any other deck in the format. So there's not a lot of competition. Like some of the decks I've pulled apart, I've, it's because I've been like eyeing the pieces like, oh man, I could really use those clones in my Sakashima and Krark deck. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and you know, this, these commanders don't really spark joy, but with Kestia, there's not really any competition for the cards that she's running. Um, Cause so many of them are just like doofy little enchantment creatures that happen to draw cards when they swing uh, when she's on the battlefield. So uh, that's a deck I've really enjoyed. Another one is Cadena Slinking Sorcerer. This is the Morph Commander. Um, it's one and Sultai, so one blue, black, green for a 3 3. And uh, whenever a face down creature enters the battlefield under your control, you draw a card. And once per turn, you can play a face down or basically play a morph for free. Um, so this also runs a bunch of cards that no other deck is going to want. Uh, it's it's a bunch of like crappy morphs. Morph is generally not a good mechanic in Commander. So there, I've, I'm never going to want to scrap her for parts. And also it's um, another fun game, like type of gameplay where I sort of have my grip of cards in my hand. I also have a whole bunch of uh, essentially cards on the battlefield and all these unflipped morphs that can do things and interact with my opponents. Um, it's probably not a coincidence that both Kestia and Cadena have access to blue, so I can run a bunch of cheap interactive counterspells in either deck. Um, and I'll I'll get into like some of the, the commonalities in a minute, but I'm going to talk about one deck and then I'll turn the floor over to you to talk about some of your longest lasting commander decks. Mm-hmm. Um, so the last one I'm going to talk about is Everything Tribal. This is a deck with a whole bunch of changelings and a whole bunch of tribal effects that reward many, many different creature types. Um, so it often plays a little bit differently each game, depending on what type of tribal effects I draw. Um, but there are some common effects I see. Um, I'm running a lot of coastal piracy type effects. So that, you know, my even though my card quality of my changelings is generally very, very low, they're able to generate cards for me and uh, make it so that I don't end up in top deck mode or anything like that. Um, but 
tell me about your decks that have survived the longest. Yeah, so I um, actually have some insights that are a little different too than yours. So my that I'd be remiss, and I think any one of my friends listening to this would be upset with me if I didn't mention like uh, Jared Golgari Lichlord. Um, and I, when I was a kid, always wanted to play a reanimator list. And I was always broke. I couldn't necessarily make the decks I wanted. I kind of just made decks with what I had or what I could trade from my friends. And that was just kind of goofy, janky kitchen table stuff when I was a kid. But when I got older, like in college, it was like, oh, okay, I can plan out. I can purchase cards. I can make these things happen. So when I got into Commander um, and then Return to Ravnica was coming out, uh, the Is It Vols versus Golgari dual decks came out and I saw Jared and I just like fell in love with him. I was like, oh my God, he's huge. He like hits all opponents. Uh, and I bought the dual deck and I never looked back. That guy has been in a sleeve at the head of a deck for a, a decade now, mm-hmm. like something like that. Um, I had a sapling of Colfinor deck before that that I took apart to make it, and that also is a deck that I have been thinking about making, but like with a more modern eye on it. Um, but the reason I've kept it together is because there's a lot of like modular parts to it. Um, and it's really the deck that made me kind of realize that like a, a commander deck is never like finished, partly because they keep releasing cards, but also partly because like you can always change some things around to make the deck function differently. So right now I have a list that um, is really good with Coffin Queen because I've been really on to Coffin Queen and um, it one point in time had a, a bunch of like land interaction in it. So I had like Titania and Gitrog monster and like a bunch of big creatures or ways to make a bunch of big creatures using lands and things like that. Creatures that scaled off of how big your lands were and the modularness of the deck meant that like, even though a lot of the core pieces were the same, I've always had like a greater good in it and et cetera, et cetera. It meant that like the deck always felt pretty fresh. I've even done a retooling recently and, and played with it and I still love that deck. And, I think it's for two reasons. I think it's like the core gameplay is really fun and I think it's really modular, but I think the core gameplay is really fun because of the lesson from the second list I want to talk about too, which is uh, it kind of forced me or, or it didn't force me, but like it made me look at the game a different way. The game of magic when I play Jared isn't uh, like how many blockers do you have? Uh, what's your life total? It's just, how big can I make this creature? <laughs> so like uh Mossbridge troll is one of the better creatures in my list because I can make that thing a 60, 60 and fling it, you know, like something like that. It's it, the, the game becomes what are the easiest ways or most available ways for me to make a big donk. Um, and my next list also kind of plays in a weird space, it was an experiment that went way too well. Uh, and this is my Mina and Den Wildborn list. Uh, this list I have not had together as long. It's been about two and a half, three years instead of 10 years. <laughs> but it's the longest I've ever had a green-red deck together because I typically take those decks apart pretty quickly <laughs> after mm-hmm. I play with them a few times. 
Um, and the reason why is because it's not doing anything that green and red really like normally does, if that makes sense. What the idea I had was, was that, um, I noticed red was hit basically this critical mass of like thrill of possibilities, um, firestorm, fateful showdown, cathartic reunion, the cards that discard, uh, and then draw you cards. So that could even mean the Heb, the Dreadhorde champion, Magus of the wheel, um, and the card that really set it off was Glinthorn Buccaneer had just come out, and then shortly after Brawlin Sky Shark Rider had come out too. Um, and the idea was I could use Mina and Den's uh, red green return a land you control to its owner's hand, target creature gains trample to like put cards in my hand artificially to pitch to various effects, uh, and it worked very very well <laughs> this deck just is running uh as many looting effects as many discards effects this is the deck i have my actual wheel of fortune in uh reforge the soul um and it's gotten so many toys over the years surly Badgesaur. um we have rune horn hellkite um just so many things that get cards in your hand and then pitch them and the gameplay on this deck is so fun because the early game, you're just getting as many lands onto the battlefield as possible. And the late game, you're trying to get as many lands into your graveyard as possible, whether bouncing them or throwing them with like Borborygmus and Raged. Um, and then you win by like brawling them to death with the trigger. Whenever you discard a card, put a plus one, plus one counter on brawling, deal one damage to each opponent. Or a firestorm targeting every single permanent and player but yourself, because um, you have like eighteen cards in hand or something like that. And firestorm is a red instant. It says discard X cards, deal X damage to X targets, um, and you can target pretty much any. It's, it's like any target, so you could target planeswalkers, creatures, players, and just deal 18 to 18 things. And that game, that card has won me a lot of games. Fateful Showdown, discard your hand, uh, deal damage equal to the number of cards in your hand, and then draw that many cards. So if you cast a Seasons Past uh, and get back like six, seven cards, and then Fateful Showdown, like you're dealing like six, seven, maybe nine, ten, depending on how many cards are in your hand, damage and just wrecking somebody this is the only green deck that i play because i try not to play too many cards the same in multiple decks that runs praetor's council which just puts my whole graveyard back in my hand so this deck is just a blast because it plays on this angle that like other decks i've made don't most decks like have a game plan i draw cards and i play them this deck i draw cards and i just throw them away it doesn't matter what it is i can just throw it away and that like reckless abandon is like incredibly enthralling <laughs> to me. <laughs> um, so I guess that is mine. Um, do you want to get into some things maybe you noticed from yours and, and mine that work together? Some, yeah. Some reasons that we, we like these decks so much. I'll, I'll talk about mine. I think this is going to be sort of personal and, and specific to each, each individual mm -hmm. player. Um, yeah. For me, the things that I the, the commonalities between the decks I've kept a, together the longest um, are that they they use cards that other decks don't want. So there's there's no danger of scrapping them for parts. 
Uh, they're creature based, so their general game plan involves turning things sideways or, or having a big board, and so they're able to progress the game. Um, the commander um, or, or like the structure of the deck provides a lot of card flow, so even though I'm committing creatures to the board, I'm able to keep cards in hand and I don't feel like I'm ending up in top deck mode. Uh, and then they're on color for lots of cheap interaction, just so that like I can prevent heinous things from happening on the other side of the table. And I, I've noticed that like I think both Castia and Cadena, they both have green in the color identity. They both flood the board with a lot of creatures. Both of them would be a lot better if they ran Crater Hoof Behemoth. Uh, but I haven't really wanted to put it in either list or, or any ways to like um, to just snatch the win out of nowhere because I just kind of enjoy doing the thing with these decks and it, it kind of gets to the point where I don't care if I win or lose. Yeah. <laughs> um, like I just enjoy playing a bunch of enchantment creatures, drawing a bunch of cards, playing more enchantment creatures. Or, or doing the same, or like, you know, playing my morphs out, having a bunch of like interaction both in my hand and on the battlefield. Um, and if somebody kills me at some point, that's fine. But like, because I am running this cheap interaction, like, I can keep the game going till the point where I felt like my deck has done its thing. I am satisfied. And then if somebody overpowers like the three counter spells I have in hand, to win hey good for them they certainly earned it um but i don't feel the need to like you know run tutors and crater hoof or some other like quick win the game uh you know cheat code or whatever um because i just enjoy playing these decks and i think that's why like win or lose i have a good time with them and that's part of why i've kept them together for so long yeah yeah i think that that's true with mine too like it's not necessarily like i've had my malcolm and dargo list like a year basically and i that deck always does something um and it has gameplay really similar to the list i was just talking about like i i'm able to execute on my plan every time i play which i think is something i'm looking for um when i keep decks together uh and it doesn't necessarily want to run just the best cards in any of the color identities that it's in which is really nice um and i i think that for me to like add on to this like my brain wants there to be a mini game that i'm playing and this is true of like video games i play too this i like i know that i'm playing a game when i'm playing magic the gathering but i want there to be i want to set up another hoop like can i if i want to win the game i know i can win the game i know i'm good enough smart enough there are cards that can just let me do that that's not like why i'm playing magic I want to see if I can win the game by doing this stupid thing. Uh, and I've played pretty much every game like that. I, when I play like MOBAs, that's what I would do. I would always play gimmicky characters, uh, fighting games, whatever. So one of the things that I notice of the decks that I like and that I keep together are that like I have to be able to do things with what I'm using, but then I also like have to be able to jump through the hoop that I set up for myself. So with Malcolm and Dargo, it's like I'm playing Wily Goblin and like uh, Sailor of Fortune or Sailor Means, whatever the one three for three that gives you a treasure is. Like I'm playing these bad pirates, but like 
it's okay because they cast Dargo really easily, <laughs> like and or draw me cards when I have like a, a reflection of Lit Yara out or something. In regards to Mina and Den, like these cards, like I draw them, I pitch them, I draw them, I pitch them. It's like the game becomes how many things can I get in my graveyard? How many cards can I see this game? Um, and like I said, with Jared, it's like, how big can I make this thing? How big can the sewer nemesis become by me casting spells and milling myself? Um, and then is that enough to throw it at people and win the game? Can I get it back multiple times? Maybe like these little hoops and things are the car, like the reason that I keep playing the game. And even if I don't win, as long as I have a good time, like trying to make that happen and uh, it seems like the people I'm playing with are enjoying what's happening too, then I am happy, you know, like that, that's really the goal for me is like not strictly winning, which I think is probably one of the biggest criticisms we get is like, we often talk about like, you should play this card or this card or this card. Or like, what's the best way to build this commander? Exactly. But it's not because like, like it's in the name, right? Like we're commander theory because we want to know what exists so that when we make decks, they can be as fun as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think our friends know that, I, but if you're listening, you might not have ever played a game with us. <laughs> <laughs> so that's, that's really what I'm looking for. Like, I, I don't care if I do end up killing you with my Glinthorn Buccaneer. But as long as I got to use my Glittenhorn Buccaneer, then I'm happy. So mm. that's kind of how I think about these decks. Definitely. Um, so I, th- I think that brings us to the end of the episode. I'm just going to... We talked a bit about the, the general lessons for decks that survive. Uh, I'll, I'll recap the general lessons for decks that you might end up taking apart prematurely. Mm-hmm. Um, so things that, in our experience we have have led to us have led us to take apart decks in you know based on our metagame uh an interactive combo all or nothing decks that you know when they're off when their commander's not out when when their key piece is removed they don't do anything um decks that are too oppressive and just aren't something that their metagame is able to to naturally answer um, decks that play the same way every time and those are things you may want to consider um, when you're you've got that big cart on tcg player just ask yourself <laughs> if if that deck falls into one of those categories and consider whether it, it might not stand the test of time but with that i'm going to give a brief thank you to our patreon patrons they are Gustav, Ryan, Addison, Rick, Raphael, Kyle, Laser, Charlotte, the White Clays, Hannah, Andy, James, Logan, Roger, Evan, Bryce, Dylan, Benjamin, Jamie, Matthew, Jason, Kyle, Brandon, Kevin, Jeremy, Russell, Dylan, John, Micah, Troy, Roxanne, Charles, Daniel, Andrew, Jason, Paul, Johan, Jonathan, Christian, Jim, Emmanuel, Andrea, Vasilios, Logan, and Frugal Brutal. Thank you all for supporting the show, and if you're not currently a Patreon patron but would like to become one, please check us out at patreon.com slash commander theory. Thanks for listening. Hello, it is Zach. This is me jumping in at the end for like a little addendum to add on just because of last week's episode when we went over budget commanders. There were two things that were pointed out to me. So the first is that the reunion list that used the threatens was put 
in our discord by grinning just such a good idea so cool so funny such an interesting take for a mono red commander uh just very cool so grinning I want to give credit where credit's due. Thank you for your cool deck idea. And hopefully other people heard that and were inspired to do something really similar. The other one is for the Dargo and Jessica commander pair. We mentioned it during the actual like card review set review for commander legends, um, which if you go back, well, like I actually can't believe that we did so much <laughs> of that as we were going over it. But, um, if you have Dargo on the cheap, let's say you sack some treasure to cast Dargo, and then you have a Thermopod out, um, sacking Dargo to make a red means that you can just cast Dargo over and over again because Dargo reduces the cost of himself by two. Thermopod generates the red you need to cast Dargo. You can cast Dargo infinite times, and then you can cast Jessica and just nuke the whole table with her minus x ability that shoots three things for x damage and this was brought up again by alex whiteclay who was like hey you didn't talk about this in the episode and i was like hey you know what you're right so thank you alex for bringing that to my attention so grin and alex thank you both for your contributions we're going to have a lot of spoiler content coming these next few weeks uh and we hope you enjoy it because it's gonna take me a while to edit it but other than that um, thank you for listening, and we're just so glad to have so many cool people in our Discord, in our lives, who are really creative and inventive and smart and know a lot about cards. So, talk to y'all later. Bye. If any of you theorists want to get in touch with us, I am at Commander Theory on Twitter and Tumblr, and Zach is at Fat Bartleby on Twitter. Our theme song is Lincoln Continental by Entropy, and you can check him out on SoundCloud. Until next time, we're going back to the drawing board.